This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. Thank you for being with us. This show is, in my view, up front, up close, and in this case, very personal. 80s, 90s, and now, Alan Frew and Glass Tiger rose to superstardom in 1986 with the release of The Thin Red Line. Two songs from that album, Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone. And someday, someday you'll be shedding your tears to cry over me. Someday I'll be losing this fear. We're smash hits on both sides of the border and have stood the test of time. Faithful fans from the 80s, 90s, and now all share one thing in common. They can't get enough of Alan Frew. But the road to success wasn't always smooth for the now 60-something rocker. Keeping up with the changing musical times and then having to face head-on some major health issues may have changed his life and his attitude forever. Alan Frew joins us now in conversation. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. I want to go to the 80s. What was it like to reach such success because of that album and the songs that were on it? Was it what you had expected? And is success as sweet as we think it is? Um, well, it, it's, it's a whirlwind. Um, you know, you, you work for years and years and years, and then it seems like when... It skyrockets. It feels like it's happening in minutes. If I had any great regret, it would be that maybe I didn't take enough time to really savor it um, as it was happening. Because you know, the, of course, the, all the the extraneous stuff that can come from success is nice, but you you don't take enough time in the moment. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So if I could do it all again, I would take more time in the moment. And uh, yes, it was just, it was fantastic. It was just a wonderful mm-hmm. payoff for all the hard work I'd put in, in all the bar scenes, all the crazy, you know, early days of being in music. Yeah, I can picture you sort of packing up the van with the boys and, and you know, having to travel, as you say, from bar to bar and from, from different location. All of a sudden, but it really wasn't overnight, there is this major success. People who are successful in the music industry can go down one path or another. One path is to stay clean and to stay on top of things. The other is to become mired in in all kinds of distractions like women and drugs and alcohol. How did you choose your path? Well, my path has always been guided by the fact that I love to be creative. Um, I'm not as much uh, uh, addictive by nature as I am just sort of driven by creativity. I don't just define myself as a a songwriter or I don't just define myself as a singer. I define myself more as a 
a communicator. And so I've always been happy whether I'm writing a song and someone else records it or whether I'm actually doing it, whether I'm painting or writing uh, a book or whatever. So by nature, I'm not really, I'm very driven, but I'm not addictive. So yeah, we played hard and we partied hard. Um, but, uh, you know, luckily for me, I enjoyed and savored the years that went by as, you know, um, as we know, there's many people in my industry uh, that, that, you know, can make it that way where the addiction took over and it cost them their careers or it cost them their lives. You know, you're a good-looking guy, very talented, a superstar. <laughs> oh, I think you are. <laughs> I know a lot, I everyone feels that way. So why did you have to go a blind date route to meet the person who was going to become your significant other? Why was, there, what was, there, why was it a blind date? <laughs> well, the blind date wasn't really uh, created on sort of on my end. What, what happened was we were shooting a video, and there was a very, very pretty woman uh, in that video. And, and one day she said to me when we were shooting, are you seeing anyone? <laughs> and I thought, oh, she's going to ask me out for, for, a, for a drink. <laughs> and she, I said, no, why? She said, I have someone you should meet. <laughs> and I just thought that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. Like, well, what are you doing? But... Um, Lo and behold, they got me in touch with this uh, beautiful young woman. Uh, just a, what she, I think she's six years younger than me, Mars. And uh, and Marcy came into Toronto, uh, but wasn't didn't want me to pick her up or anything. She <laughs> said she, was, I was taking part in a charity event. She said, "No, I'll meet you there." I said, "Okay," and she didn't even know uh, really much about Glass Tiger. She went with her sister to buy an album to try and figure out which one I was. <laughs> and, and get this, instead of buying a vinyl, they bought a cassette. Oh. So my head was about the size of a pin head. Anyway, she showed up at the event, and uh, I guess she got a look at me and thought, okay, I'll go down the escalator, and I'll meet them, and then that was it. And climb the stairway to heaven. Oh, wait, that's another group. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I want to fast forward to 2015. Something unbelievable happened to you, something that you n- could never have predicted or anticipated. You suffered mm-hmm. a stroke. What happened? Mm-hmm. What happened? Uh, when I worked, uh, uh, my family were away, so I was overdoing it in the studio. I was putting in maybe 14 hours a day recording my solo album, probably way overdoing it. And uh, on the last note, the last song, uh, my assistant said I was a little more agitated than he used to. And uh, when they left me alone, I went to bed that night. And uh, I was supposed to golf with my son the next day. I woke up to his phone call. I tried to cancel it. He said no. And uh, I got up and my right leg was misbehaving. And then my right arm and then, of course, I have a history in medicine. I was, I'm a registered nurse to trade. And I thought, oh, boy, this could be a heart attack or a stroke. But then denial kicks in. and I got ready, and we went golfing. But I had a, a spasm on the, the first uh, tee, and, and 
that didn't work and eventually a couple months to the short I ended up in emergency in the hospital. They didn't think I was having a stroke at first and then boom, I had a full blown stroke and um, I was completely paralyzed on my right side and that lasted for about three days and then my fingers and toes started to wiggle and took me about nine months of therapy and I was back on stage within that nine, ten month period. How important was Marcy through all of this? Oh, I mean, uh, she was a, a total rock. Probably a wreck on the outside from from heading away from me because trying to deal with it, but, uh, but a rock. Uh, on the very first moment she arrived back um, with no tears yet, she looked at me and she said, uh, this isn't you. I don't see you here. I see you back on stage. I'll never forget that, actually. And, um, and so that was her attitude. She and Sam Reed from Glass Tiger. Uh, Sam's my other sort of... We, we're each other's rock uh, when times are tough. And Sam was the first phone call outside the circle. And the two of them kept it shut down because it hit the media pretty heavily and and you know we were getting inundated with people trying to get crash the hospital and all kinds of things so. oh, yeah. you said in an interview around the stroke quote that guy pre-stroke is gone you can never be mm-hmm. that guy again ever is that true mm-hmm. alan uh, absolutely uh i mean i'd like to know the person that's had a stroke and then goes back to no- completely back to normal i i, I would I'd be fascinated to find that guy. Um, you can't possibly be. I mean, I'm I'm scarred for life. Uh, you know, my right hand still has frozen sections to it. My fingers, uh, of course, my broken neck didn't help that. We can talk about that quickly. Um, you, you're mentally scarred. You, you have to you have to realize that when you've had a stroke, you're at higher risk for another one. Um, it just it, it it you're just this new version of yourself, mm. and that's what you have to deal with. Well, we, your fans, love the new version of you. And you did mention <laughs> that the bad fall in 2019, you broke your neck in two places just before a cross country tour with Glass Tiger and Corey Hart. You probably thought at that point, what next? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it was a. I've had two two incidents. Uh, where I don't know if it's uh, something related to the stroke or whatever, but if I get nauseous for any reason and I gut wrench really hard, I pass out. I had one incident where it happened to me and I fell, and luckily enough I, uh, I, I wasn't permanently scarred by it. But the second time it happened, I went down as if I'd been shot with a bullet and uh, I must have hit the toilet maybe on the way down, I broke my neck at C6 and C7, 10 days before I was due to go on tour. And um, again, there was Sam Reed sitting at the foot of the bed, <laughs> saying, it's okay, pal, we haven't told anybody yet. And we didn't tell Corey until just a couple of days before it, and I said, I'll be there. And I was. I took myself off pain medication, and... and uh, I was. I started the tour, and, and it was a great tour. We finished it. It wasn't easy, but we did it. 
we're in the middle of a pandemic. If we weren't, what would you be doing right now? If there was not a pandemic, oh, I wish that there wasn't. But if there weren't, what would you, Alan Frew, be doing right now? I'd like to think I'd be performing live somewhere. Um, and uh, we've, uh, we've lost close to 100 shows in the last year, which has been tragic. And we're just part of a massive industry that has been completely devastated by this pandemic. So I'd like to think uh, I'd be doing that. If I wasn't, I'd be sitting in Tuscany uh, having mm. a glass of wine uh, at some little corner uh, restaurant, just people watching, which is one of my favorite things to do. Oh, you sound great, and you sound great. You know what I mean by both, uh, both as a, as a singer <laughs> and you. both as a human being. And it has been an honor to have you on this show in conversation. Alan Frew, I wish you only the best for the future because there is a great future, and it is including you. So thank you very much for being a part of this show. My pleasure, and thank you so much for having me on. From 80s VJ to successful entrepreneur and everything in between, Steve Anthony is next. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 1059 The Region. Steve Anthony is a wild and crazy guy. He became famous and infamous in the 80s as one of the original Much Music VJs, creating controversy while fueling curiosity about his unorthodox approach to music, videos, performers, even his fellow VJs. Let's fast forward to the early 90s. Breakfast Television, a program different from any other morning show in Canada. Steve Anthony had viewers spellbound and in shock, wondering what the heck he was going to do next. And now, Steve Anthony is a very successful entrepreneur, happily married to his wife Tanya for the past 22 years, and is the proud puppy papa of Dexter, Tadpole, and Peanut. He joins us now in conversation. My friend, it's been a long time and I'm so glad you're with us. Annie, I have to ask you this. Was that completely ad-libbed? Because I know you're, you are so good off the cuff. Of that intro. That, that wasn't scripted at all. That no, wasn't scripted, it, off was the it? T- off the top of my head, I just sort of reached, <laughs> reached into my heart and thought about the things. No, but let, let, me com- let me compliment you first. See, that's the kind of thing that you could prattle off in a, in a heartbeat. And it would sound like every other person would have to have had that scripted and you would just have it in your noggin and off you would go. (laughs) That's why I was curious. You're very funny. So let's talk about the good old days. Or were they? I think of you, long hair, blonde, wild, and, and, and almost frenetic and frantic, but so intelligent. You were one of the original Much Music VJs. How did that come about? Well, let little clarity... I was, I actually came on board about nine months or a year after Much Music launched. Now, the, the funny thing, which isn't funny because you're, you won't be laughing, uh, I actually submitted a, a tape. Uh, I was encouraged by somebody in Montreal where I was on radio. I was encouraged. There's this, there's this music channel coming up. You should really, you should, you know, submit a tape. And I submitted a tape and, and nothing came of it. And then literally 
a few months later, I ended up working in Toronto on radio at Q107. And three months after I was there, uh, I was hosting something, a movie, and, and it was a music movie. I even remember it was like David Bowie something he was starring in. Absolute Beginners, I think, was the name of the movie. Anyway, I was running around being a goof. I was just <laughs> messing with people, giving stuff away, blah, blah, blah. And the next thing I know, they asked me if I would work for them, which I turned down because I'd, I'd spent so much time thinking about whether or not I was going to leave Montreal to go to Toronto and, and the people who got me there, they tried really hard to get me. And there's, this is something you understand, Annie, it's a little thing called devotion and, and loyalty. And I wasn't about to run off on these people that had devoted their time to getting me to come to Toronto. So I said, no. And I didn't know if I'd blown it, but, you know, devotion was more important than that. And then a year later, they came back to me and said, uh, we'd like you to work for us. And so at that point, I did my tenure at Q107, and I was kind of not going to be a bad guy by running off. So that's when I started it much. What do you think was so appealing to the audience about you? I remember, and it wasn't all that long ago, although it is decades ago, but I remember you as being unfiltered and and totally honest and and as Steve Martin calls you, wild and crazy. Why was that appealing to you? Well, think? okay. There, there was a, a record rep uh, re- representative, by the way. We in the biz call them record reps. Anyway, a guy that I worked with for the longest time, I can even name his name, is Kim Zayak. And he said, he said, um, like, what's going on? On, on much music. And, and I said, to him, he, he reminded me that I said this. I wouldn't otherwise. He said, the moment that I actually give a crap about what I'm doing on TV is the moment that I, that I actually will fail. <laughs> so the, the object, the object was to not care. And, and, and I know that seems weird because I like to think of myself as really kind of pro and I'm prepared and all that other stuff. But once you, the, the moment you start caring that somebody's going to think something or somebody's going to, do something about what it is that you did. That's the moment that um, it's it's a, a failing formula. So I just did what I wanted to do, and I do have to say this, and I'm going to say it very forcefully. I was very fortunate because the people that I worked for through the years, they let me get away with that. And I feel really bad for young broadcasters today because things are so screwed down tight, man. They're so screwed down tight that if they do anything outside of the norm, outside of the you know outside of the lines, color outside of the lines something bad happens to them, you know, and they get quashed down. And so I, I was allowed to. I got away with, sure, I got lots of crap. I got lots of hell for doing what I did, but that was okay. It was part of the appeal. It was part of, like, take it on the chin. And then, okay, you know, yeah, okay, you know, let's just there were a million phone calls that came about that thing that you did. Just want to let you know that when you go back out there again, be, be careful out there, as they say. So, yeah, so that was the definition, Annie. September 6th, 1989, Breakfast Television, a morning show unlike anything we'd ever seen in this country. You were cast as the Live Eye Guy. People didn't know what to make of you, but you know what, Steve? They watched. Boy, did they watch. What was going on in your okay. life at that point? You know, you were you were sort of committed to it, and sometimes you didn't show up for work, <laughs> and then well, you no, were I there think, again. I, I, think, <laughs> I, think I, only, I think I only didn't show up for work a few times. Late was one thing, not showing up <laughs> le- less often. <laughs> um, okay, so here, <laughs> this was it, was, it was a corollary of the Much Music thing, which is why our former boss, Moses Neimer, kind of 
wanted me there. It, it was, it wasn't, and I don't know if you remember this, but originally the concept of breakfast television was you're anchoring. David Onley was doing the news. Uh, John Whaley was doing sports and kind of being the guy in the studio. And I was out there doing whatever it was that I wanted to do. But originally, do you know that I was supposed to have a chimpanzee with me? What? I do you not know this? No, I never knew that. And I thought Moses, I was privy to everything Moses about that Nimer, <laughs> yeah, Moses Nimer wanted me to go out on the live eye and have a chimp with me. Boy, animal rights activists would have a fit about that. <laughs> well, we, we kept thinking about how many chimps I would lose along the way. <laughs> because of whatever. Where's the chimp? I don't know where the chimp went. I have really no idea. Sorry, got another chimp. That's probably what would have happened. So that basically was the impetus for do anything you want to do. If I'm going to be a guy on a live eye and I'm allowed to have a chimp, they're really giving me free reign to do whatever I wanted to do. So, so I did minus the chimp. So I went out and did stuff. Do you, do you, do you, you do remember this after one year of being on the air? And this was like the greatest compliment in the world. But at the same time, something you know I, I wasn't even conferred about. We finally, because we were very successful in the first year, we were given a budget to advertise. And the first budget we had, and we had that morning show meetings. We we meet at whatever five o'clock. I guess five o'clock, five thirty. We meet in the studio, and um, our our producer at the time, our, our producer named Bud Pierce, he said, "Well, we got some money, and we got this advertising campaign, and here's what it is." And the campaign was, "We apologize for Steve Anthony this morning." <laughs> I remember. I remember. <laughs> so that ended up on bus sides and in bus shelters and and met in the subway and stuff like that. So that was. That was it. It was go do whatever you want to do, Steve. Um, you know, come back in one piece, and that'll make it different than than what anybody else is doing. So, like I said, they encouraged it. What am I not? What am I going to do? How hard is that? No, no calluses on my hand. I was able to go mm-hmm. do whatever I wanted, and they give me gave me money for it. So, I was fine with that. So, Steve, in my view. There seemed to be radio silence between BT, the end of your career at Much, and your move to CP24 to become Chopper Steve. <laughs> I remember that in the late 2000s. What was going on in your life in between? Were there problems? Nope. Um, uh, the, the, the tenure, I, I kind of overstayed. I overstayed my, um, well... I overstayed my welcome at Much Music because I really liked doing it, but everything, you know, there's a, there's a tenure and there's there's an expiration date on everything. I mean, the fact that I was there for nine and a half years was, you know, great. There there were people, there were VJs that, that ended up leaving after a year, a year and a half, two years, were being asked to leave because that was the expiration date. Sorry, kids are tired of you, move on. So there was that. Um, and then I was actually the early early stages of, of uh, web development, which is what I ended up doing. So for a year and a half or two years until that happened, I was developing websites for people and, and doing all this other stuff. So it was, I was quietly kind of in my basement, um, working with clients and doing stuff like that. And then, um, and then about a year or so after I left much, I was asked to go to Montreal to do um, a morning show at Shelma FM in Montreal. So I, I really was only out of the, the, the eye uh, on the air for about a year and a half out of Toronto for longer than that because I was three years in Montreal. And then I came back and I was doing Mix 99.9. 9. 
all by request, which is very flattering. Yeah. So. And very important to know that. I want to ask you very quickly about Tanya. Again, my observation, because you and I have been friends for, for decades, I observed that she was a calming influence when it came to you, you and your personality and your drive and helped you focus and refocus. Am I correct in that? Yes. Yep. You are very much so. She, she, um, we, we had known each other through common, um, elements, people, bikers. No, I'm just joking about that. Um, probably though, <laughs> when I think about it, but we traveled in, in much the same groups and, and, and circles and we knew each other, but I, I always had a girlfriend or whatever the case may be. And uh, so there was never an opportunity. And the, the moment that I didn't have a girlfriend and that we ran into each other, it was something that might've happened years earlier, but you know how the, the pieces of the puzzle fall into place and it's perfect because that was the timing for it. Uh, I was struggling in a lot of, in a lot of ways personally, and she kind of helped me weather that storm. And though I had relationships for four years, five years at a time, Literally, it was four or five months after we got together that I, I actually asked her to marry me. I went, well, you know, I, I'm not going to do any better than this. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I, I, <laughs> yeah, she'll do. I, I, I give up trying. She'll do. I'll marry her. Take no, my um, wife, please. No, I, just realized, I realized that she was the one. So um, we got married a year after that. So literally uh, 14 months after we got together, we were married. Steve, we're going to fast forward again. This time you announce your retirement from television. And among many other things, you buy a property in Prince Edward County and open one of two Anthony's Escapes. The other is in Mexico. You have been an entrepreneur all your life, but it really has come to a head since you left television. We uh, found Prince Edward County 20 years ago and knew that this would eventually be where we wanted to stay and planted the seeds in the last five years of CP24 Breakfast, planted seeds to make sure that um, whatever it was that I had to offer, other people would still want when I left television, uh, and that was access. Um, that's one thing that, and, and you can say this about yourself as well, you know very well that if, you, if somebody asked you to see if you could get a hold of the prime minister, you, 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 with some effort, you probably could. So, you know, that's valuable to people. So I made sure that that was established. And so, though we've been out here in Prince Edward County and owned one property for 20 years, when we just came here, we decided, well, you know, we can use that influence and stuff and buy another property and open up a bed and breakfast. So that's what it is. And oddly enough, Annie, um, we, opened, we were opening up in April of last year, and three weeks before we were going to open after all these renos, <laughs> the province shut down. So, so we we literally opened for no time. Then there was then things were lifted, and we opened for about three or four weeks, and then we closed down again. So we literally haven't been open. We have not been open. You know, I encourage everybody to look you up online. Anthony's escapes, and I say plural, even though online it says escape because you've got the second one in Mexico. You also have a a. a business called Direct Co-ops, Trellis Canna, Steve Anthony Productions. So I want to take one last look back at your career as we wind this up. So you are where you are today, an entrepreneur, successful, happily married, things are going well, other than the pandemic, which has affected everyone in such a terrible way. You look back at your career, you're happy with what you see? Yeah, yes. I, I, there were hills and valleys 
and really highs and real lows, and you, you put it all together, and it brings me to this point, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere where else other than this point. So, you know, you can look back and reflect all the heck you want about, well, I shouldn't have done that, or I could have done that, or, you know, I could have done this, and I could have done that. Well, if at the end of it, any of that changed, you didn't, I didn't end up right here at this spot, then I wouldn't be happy about it. So looking in the rearview mirror, I'm real happy with what I see. Hmm. From wild and crazy guy to an absolutely lovely man, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and catching up with you. Steve Anthony, thank you for joining us in conversation. I just like hearing the sound of your voice, Annie. (laughs) Not even what you say. It's just the sound of your voice. That's good for me. How about bye-bye? (laughs) Bye-bye. So after being in conversation with these 80s icons, I get the sense that the now, the here and now, is really positive for both Steve Anthony and Alan Frew. Rock on. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.